When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 242, Liaisons. into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, pulling it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, Liaisons, the one where the Vicomte Valmont and the Marquise de Maitre wreak havoc on 18th century Parisian society. Or the one where three aliens want to learn about stuff like antagonism, love, and pleasure. It's not nearly as sexy as it sounds. John's got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first! (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641... Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, let's see, where are we? We're now, we're, we're now, we're not quite well into season seven, but we're in. No, we got a foothold. Yeah, yeah, we're it. into season yeah. seven at this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I assume, you know, what with it being an episode of Star Trek, you've got some trivia for us. Oh, I think I will, Ken, and I think I do. Uh, Today's episode, Liaison, had a working title of The Journey. Now, the story was by Roger Eschbacher and Jack Greenspawn. Now, Roger was in The Groundlings, the famous comedy theater in L.A., and his acting and writing careers start almost simultaneously. So at the same time that he was appearing in guest roles on shows like Seinfeld and The Larry Sanders Show... He was also writing for America's Funniest Home Videos, and then very shortly after, Star Trek. This is his only Trek credit, but he has a lot of animation credits and other TV work under his belt. Now, Jock has a handful of credits, uh, also spanning different areas of the entertainment industry. This is his only Trek writing credit, but he also penned an episode of The New Adventures of Robin Hood, and he also worked as an actor, and he was even a puppeteer on the remake of The Blob in 1988. Now, the script for this show was by Jeannie Carrigan Fauci and Lisa Rich. So there's not a huge amount of biographical information for either Jeannie or Lisa, but they do actually both get credited with two stories on Deep Space Nine. Lisa did a little production work in the late 70s, and Star Trek is the only professional writing credit for both women. But... As is often the case, there were a lot of uncredited rewrites and edits, even as this one was being produced. Brandon Braga did some extensive work on this one. The kid, Eric, is named for his nephew. And in one early version, we would have had a promotion for Deanna Troy, but don't worry, hold that thought. We will come back to that in a future episode. 
Liaisons was directed by Cliff Bowl. Of course, Cliff is a longtime TNG director. We most recently discussed his work on Suspicions. Now, there is a fun deleted scene on the Blu-ray. You can tell why it was cut for time, but it's the take of Byleth waking up Worf at 5 a.m. Now, not only is the antagonism fun to watch again, but there are a few interesting details like, uh, let's see, Worf with his hair down. uh, He's wearing some pretty cool pajamas and sleeping on very contemporary 1990s bedding. I'm here to tell you there are no space sheets, no space pillows in sight. No good. No. <laughs> Let's talk guest stars. We have Ricky Deshaun Collins playing the child on board Eric. We will see him again, so keep him in mind. Loquel is played by Paul Eiding. Now, Paul started out as an actor in the early 80s with a lot of small roles on TV and film. This might be his only track appearance, but he is a very prolific voice actor in addition to on camera. Seriously, the guy's credits go on forever and ever, and you will find his talents on no fewer than three Star Trek video games. And yeah, apparently he's allergic to chocolate. They had to change up what he's eating in some of those shots, so acting genius. <laughs> Byleth is played by Michael Harris, um, also an actor with a long list of TV credits to his name, but he was a series regular on the short-lived TV show The Burning Zone. He has also appeared on Babylon 5, Lois and Clark, and this is his only Trek appearance. We have Barbara Williams as Anna, and this, like the last one, the only time that we will see her on Star Trek, but she made a number of TV appearances like The Outer Limits, Stingray, The Equalizer, and shown up in some pretty high-profile films like White House Down and Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Finally, Voval is played by Eric Pierpoint. Now, this is a name you may already be familiar with from his leading role on the TV version of Alien Nation. Definitely remember it now because he will be back for appearances on Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. He actually read for the role of Riker early on during the casting process, and he was brought back in to read for other lead roles on the other series. But at least they liked him enough to have him in multiple guest roles. He's had a very full career. More about him in the next series. Captain Picard is going on a field trip, and Riker is having a sleepover. Sadly, neither is likely to have a great time. Prologue. It's time for diplomacy and action on the Enterprise. Meaning a couple of Yarens are visiting while Picard will go to their homeworld in a kind of exchange. Everyone is gearing up for the big welcome reception, especially Worf, who is just not happy about all the pomp and fancy uniforms. Soon enough, the two Yaren ambassadors, Loquel and Byleth, emerge from their shuttle along with their aloof pilot, Voval, who will take Picard back to meet with their premier. Loquel is assigned to Counselor Troy, who will show him around, and Byleth is assigned to Commander Riker. Only Byleth rather stubbornly says he'd rather have Lieutenant Worf as his contact. No more time for chit-chat. Picard is off, and the ambassadors are on their way to a reception. What could possibly go wrong? Act 1. In 10-4, there is a serious party going on. They've got roast beef, quail eggs, rambutan, kiwano, black-eyed peas, a, a random lobster head. Seriously, they broke out the good stuff. Deanna is showing Loquel how all of this works, but really for her, it's all about the desserts. 
And Loquel is absolutely taken with the idea of food eaten purely for pleasure. He loves dessert. Having less of a good time is Byleth, who sneers at his food and demands Worf go get him something else. Even Dr. Crusher pipes up that it's not really done that way at a buffet, but Worf sulks off to please the ambassador. He's slicing away at that roast like he's taking the life of a targ, when Data asks how it's going. When Worf catalogs all of Byleth's grating personality traits, Data points out that they have those things in common and should get along just fine. Picard isn't faring much better. He's finding Voval to be kind of a stick in the mud, just no fun at all. If only there were some time to talk about, hey, what's that violent shaking all of a sudden? The shuttle has lost control and their only hope is to set it down on a Class M planet. It's not a smooth landing at all. Voval is knocked around and has a concussion, and Picard is doing all right, but he's in survival mode now. He steps out to see what awaits on the planet, only to find a bleak landscape of rocks, lightning, and ouch! An electrical shock that leaves him unconscious, and only to be dragged away by the arms of a mysterious stranger. Act 2, back on the Enterprise, it's about the same as we last saw, Loquel is making friends of all ages and giving himself a sugar rush at every opportunity. Byleth is being his usual charming self by being oh so condescending to Worf and anyone with an earshot. He literally asks Geordi LaForge if he's smarter than Worf, and Geordi hesitates rather than giving the answer that we know he wants to give. Picard finds himself waking up in the wreck of a ship. He's got some sort of device attached to his side, and then a woman approaches. He asks her who she is, but she merely shushes Picard. When he tells her that the pilot of his shuttle is in need of her help, the woman informs Picard that the pilot is dead. Act 3. The mystery woman, Anna, tells Picard her background. She was a passenger and the only survivor on this Torellian ship which crashed a full seven years ago. She had no idea it had even been that long, but Picard promises he'll help her get out of there. The device on his side, she tells him, is a restrictor because he's got three broken ribs. No worries. He tells her where to look for a communications device on the shuttle, and off she goes. And let's see, back on the Enterprise, Worf is making a very rational, reasonable case to Riker about why he should be taken off his assignment with Byleth. It goes something like how he'd like to rip the guy's esophagus out, but Riker coolly tells him that he's got to stick with it. It's his job, after all. Deanna is having a slightly easier time with Loquel. Her assignment is merely obsessed with food and fun. All good times until the sugar rush wears off. But here's the thing. Either way, they've got to set limits with their guests. And Riker knows just the way to cut the tension. With a nice, friendly game of poker. Back on the planet, Picard is up and about and notices the door of the crashed freighter is locked from the outside, which he brings up to Anna when she returns. It's for his protection, she says. Many wild animals. Maybe some of them with keys. She has a communications module, but it's a wreck. Looks like it's been hit by phaser fire. Oh yeah, she says. She had to use a phaser to dislodge it. Oops. Um, do we have a plan B? While we're talking about the total helplessness they face, Anna takes this opportunity to talk about how she gave up on rescue after so long. 
Sometimes she would even go to the precipice nearby and contemplate throwing herself off. She may have given up hope, but Picard assures her that no matter how long it takes, they will leave this place. She just wants to be sure that he will never leave her. And then she plants a kiss on him and explains that she loves him. Act 4. Picard is improvising a plan B now, hoping to use an energy relay from the crashed freighter to jumpstart the downed shuttle. Anna is buzzing around, getting ready to make a celebratory dinner, but Picard stops her long enough to explain that there's no way she can actually be in love with him. He just happens to be the first person she's seen in seven years. But Anna insists otherwise. She's his number one fan. She's sorry she made him uncomfortable, though, and she kind of sulks in the corner by the fire. Ah, uh, that poker game on the Enterprise. Loquel is snacking something fierce, Byleth is cheating something fierce, and calling out Worf for bluffing. It's ultimately more than Worf can take when Byleth shoots back that Worf is a liar. One insult too far, and that escalates into chest poking, and before you know it, you've got a Klingon on a Yarian brawl, punches, slaps, kicks, a headbutt, and Worf full-on throws Byleth into the next room. Riker jumps up to subdue Worf, and Byleth's reaction is totally unexpected. He says the demonstration was wonderful, and he's thankful for it. Now, off to his quarters, where Byleth will journal about it. Back on planet Hell, Picard is ready to take his power cell over to the shuttle, but Anna is hesitant. She seems to be putting up roadblock after roadblock to Picard's plans. He pauses a moment, then announces to her that he'll be removing the medical device from his broken ribs. He does, and there's no pain, no broken ribs at all. And what about the supposed wild animals outside? And what about that broken communications equipment? Yeah... Short of hobbling Picard, Anna has been playing him, basically doing everything she can to force him to stay. But the game is up, and Picard is ready to leave. She forces herself on him, insisting that he should love her now, and after a short struggle, she drops her necklace and leaves the freighter, locking him inside. As Picard is trying to escape, he hears a voice outside, the door opens, and there is Voval, very much not dead. Act 5. Oh, Voval's not dead. He was just sort of hibernating while his body repaired itself from the accident. He's better now, and they'd better go look for Anna. When Voval saw her, it looked like she was heading toward that high precipice, so they split up, and just a second later, Picard spots Anna standing precariously by the edge. She's heartbroken? She swears she'll jump if Picard won't promise to love her, but Picard spots something... Odd. The necklace that she was wearing earlier that had fallen off? She's wearing it now. He says no. He won't promise anything. This whole thing is a setup, and speaking of which, where's Voval? Yeah. If she's going to jump, she should just jump. And then Anna suddenly transforms into Voval. And it's not just Voval, the surly pilot from earlier. He's actually Ambassador Voval. And here's the story. The Iarians sent three ambassadors to study human concepts like pleasure, antagonism, and wait for it, love. On this planet, many years ago, that freighter had crashed, leaving a human survivor, a woman. Then seven years later, a human male also crashed there, and they fell in love. 
The Iarians were trying to repeat the experiment to get a better understanding of human culture. Vauval was sent to wrap his mind around human love, while Byleth got beat up and Lokel got diabetes. Nothing like experiencing something rather than just reading about it. Picard gets it, but yeah, this would be a crime where he comes from. That's another concept Vauval doesn't quite get, obviously. They head back to the Enterprise where the three ambassadors say their goodbyes. Byleth got to duke it out with Worf and the holodeck, and Laquelle leaves some communion wafers for Deanna, all in the interest of cultural exchange. When Picard and Volval say their goodbyes, Picard impresses upon the ambassador that humans like to find balance, never too little, never too much, but there is something admirable in the way the Iarians just jumped right into human culture. Just don't do it again. The end. Well done, sir. Thank you. Yeah, no problem at all. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. We move on to the next. Yeah, that's all, no, 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 that's all I've got. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have. I have questions. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe some thoughts. Maybe some ideas. Maybe some thoughts. Maybe some ideas. Yeah. I, I will say it right at the beginning. I I kind of love the joke at the beginning about the outmoded sexist attitude about the dress uniform. Mm. It, you, you need a uh, you need a Will Riker, you need a Jonathan Frakes to deliver that line with the smirk and the smile and the wink. I like it. It's good that you're starting right at the beginning with that because that was right at the beginning. Although it they was. really weren't they weren't the long like they weren't the long ceremonial robes I expected them to be. Like when we take that long shot, mm-hmm. it's it's really just more like he's wearing an apron. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Uh, it is a warrior's apron, by the way, when uh, Worf has got it on. Yeah, this is the thing. Does he not know that he is wearing the biggest necklace on the Enterprise every episode? I mean, if we're going to be sexist about this, <laughs> which they start off by being, he's like, oh, this looks like a dress. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, how would you know exactly? Because, I mean, Klingons dress very differently than humans dress, certainly. I mean, we've never seen a Klingon in a dress like that. Right. I don't think. And they weren't even in dresses. But then, you know, yeah, it was kind of weird, actually, that he was, you know, yes. I mean, it's a good it's a good line for Riker. It's kind of yeah. a weird line for Worf because, you know, what we haven't seen is, is a Klingon and a scant. I would <laughs> like that. I would like that a lot. Somebody make that happen. OK, see, and that is actually what made his whole comment. I mean, obviously, by season seven, TNG has way forgotten about the scant. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's what made, you know, his comment kind of weird because, you yeah. know, he has served with people who wear dresses. I mean, first of all, there's Deanna. But then yeah. there's also those guys that we saw in the scans in the first, mm-hmm. um, I guess, in the first season. Did we see one in the second season? I can't remember. Uh, we might have. Mainly in the first, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that we didn't hear that. But, but yeah, I mean, again, Worf, you can take anything prune juice. You could take uh, the ball chair, whatever, and just say, this is the prune juice of a warrior. And then, boom, he's on board. You could say, this is the dress of a warrior. And he's on board. He's good to go. (laughs) Yeah. The dress of a warrior. I like that. And I would think, actually, that Worf being who he is, I think that he would love, like, tradition and uniforms and protocols because you tell him, like, this is very important. You have to do this thing. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing because it's super important and I have responsibility. You could really, you could get him to do anything pretty much because he's going to take it very seriously wow man you're you're on the you're on the verge of actually uh, coming up to something here mm-hmm. uh so Worf did not i mean Worf, as we just said well he did grow up on earth though yeah, as, as a klingon true. Worf wouldn't have any sort of preconceived notion about you know somebody in a dress somebody not in a dress because it's just the way humans dress right yeah yeah not how klingons dress 
who taught Worf to be sexist about whether or not he wears a dress? Who cares? I mean, oh, who yeah, did yeah, that? Yeah. Was that was that the Rashenkos? Was that you know? Was that Starfleet? Hmm. Was that in fact Riker? Ooh. Eh, whatever. Uh. I mean, it's it's not even a thing. I mean, it, what's weird is, I mean, it did start off. It, it started off with that, which you know, yeah. it's it's barely a thing because you know there are plenty of women I know who don't want to wear a dress. So mm-hmm. I mean, like for you know, for him to say it's like wearing a dress, I, I you know, obviously implied as a no man would wear a dress except go back to season one because there's a scant. Let's talk about food instead because I know uh, I love it. I, it, was, it was funny though. Speaking of food, here's where my mind went with why I'm picturing like five year old Worf on Earth with the Rajinkos and mm-hmm. he refuses to eat his carrots. You know, and, and mm-hmm. it's Mrs. Ruzhenko just saying, like, these are the carrots of a warrior, you know, <laughs> OK, I'll eat them, is, you know. And that is all yeah. he would eat. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't bother learning any of their names except for Vival, <laughs> honestly, because I just didn't I just really just didn't care that much. But okay. uh, the, so the okay. one who's assigned to Troy. Yeah. Um, if they only eat for nourishment, why is he like why is he grabbing like one of everything? On the table. Because, uh, A, that's the way you do it at a buffet. And, um, and, and <laughs> even if you're not going to eat it, you just, you got to grab it. Yeah. And, and I think that, it, again, it's a sort of like, he, he doesn't know any better at all. It's just like, oh, humans eat. Okay, I guess I'd better eat. So all I'll of take it. all of this. All of it. Yes. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. And, and like two, two of one thing, though. Was it like schwab? Sure? Is that what it was? Sure. Yeah. I, at first, I thought it was chicken wings. and the, But it, here, it was, a, it was a whole thing. It was like squab on a huge plate of black-eyed peas and then little quail eggs in the middle. Wait, were they black-eyed peas or were they um, – I thought they were more like, um, like kidney – not kidney. Um, what do they make hummus out of? Oh, like chickpeas? No, man. chickpeas. These, I thought they were, were chickpeas. Oh uh, no, they, these were kind of oblong. These looked like black-eyed peas, Crowder peas, maybe. See, I'm showing my <laughs> southern roots right now. Um, yeah. Indeed, you are. Yeah, and not a fried thing on the table, by the way. Showing long. your southern roots, or what? Yeah. There was? Oh no, you're saying uh, no, it's no. Wrong. I'm saying it's wrong that there. Thought you were correcting wasn't. me because I was like, I must have missed that. Because no, no. Look, what uh, what I'm trying to say is, I I freeze framed. In HD, all over the food frames, the, the food <sighs> scenes. I'm I'm not too proud to admit that. I had to see. I mean, that stuff was art directed. You know, I, I wanted to see, and it was like, okay, they just you have all these lettuces, and then there's just a lobster head for no good reason. <laughs> there it is. Unless somebody came by and they were like me, and they just took all the good parts of the lobster, and they're like, okay, this is now empty. <laughs> so, somebody get rid of this plate of lettuce and a lobster head because I ate the good stuff. <laughs> that, that, that could be what happened, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's look at data. Honestly, for a guy who does not understand the human concept of humor, master of the joke, and even driving it home with that pat on Worf's back, the little double pat. Do you think that was a joke on Data's part? It, I, I don't think you'd give the double pat and the smirk. If you don't know it's a joke. See, I didn't see the smirk. I saw the double pad. It reminded me of a couple of weeks ago when um, Worf actually said to Data, I am not the easiest person to get along with. And Mm. Data said, hmm. (laughs) Data basically thinks that Worf has no social graces was sort of what I thought. And so when he's telling Worf, well, he's hard to get along with. You're hard to get along with. You guys should get along great. Mm. I mean, that just struck me as, I mean, honestly... You tell me that one of the guys who wrote this also wrote for America's Funniest Home Videos. Yep. 
or wrote the story anyway, that makes much more sense to me because Worf here is pretty much here for the comedy. Um, And I will say I like when Michael Dorn gets to be frustrated because that's often a very funny thing. Um, I personally got frustrated at how obvious it all was. Like when like when Riker pats him on the back at the very end Mm -hmm. after the 11 hours of, you know, fighting the other guy, um, Mm -hmm. his guy, I'll call him. Vival is seriously going. Byleth. That's right. Okay, I did actually remember Byleth's name for a little while, but then. Yeah. But like when Riker like slaps him on the back, and you practically get like a cross-eyed look out of Worf, um, yeah, it's a, a tiny bit over the top. I felt like, yeah. Now I did say I did learn Voval's name, and one of the things I did learn Voval's name is because I'm worried about him, mm. and not not just because you know he's crashed on a planet and then he's dead, but uh, seriously, he could have died because as far as Picard knew, they actually did crash, and Voval was actually you know really injured. Right. So quick, shift him around as much as you can. <laughs> because Picard, like, turns him like, you know, oh, I should lay him down. Well, yeah. if you never spent any time with the doctor, which I know he has, right. um, maybe don't maybe don't move the, you know, potential back injury. Just a thought. Mm-hmm. I, I like how when, it, always in a TV show, they say, you know, oh, you might have a concussion. Lay here. Don't fall asleep. <laughs> you know? It's like, well, are you going to do anything? Are you going to entertain me? Are you going to give me an iPad so I can watch a movie? Can we? Can I get a pillow? No, he's he's leaving. Yeah, I know, right? McCoy would have shot him up with something to make sure he couldn't fall asleep. He would have. That would have been nice. Yeah. Just whether he wanted it or not, McCoy would have <laughs> shot him up with something right, right away. Did you see how close Picard's head came to hitting that rock when he was knocked out? I did not. Holy moly. It's quite a stunt. You have the wide shot and... Picard or Picard stunt double just it gets pulled right back. I mean, it's a big leap. And then you cut to the close up of definitely Patrick Stewart and his head is very close. But in that wide shot, man, it looks like he is about to hit his head on a rock. Just that I pointed out because it's a good stunt and with all the atmospheric effects going on. It's a nice, effective little moment. Um, also had a very important question. Hmm. Is LaCroix drinking out of a vase? Because really, that thing is huge. And I was trying to picture the prop master, like, I got this cup, I got this cup. Like, no, 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 not big enough. Get a giant flower vase. We'll put a cone on top, and it'll look bigger than a big gulp and we'll fill it with papaya juice. Man. Space cocktail glass. Oh, yes. Space cocktail glass. No, got a new thing. Um, Okay, let's point out that Eric, Mm -hmm. uh, the kid, Eric's mom says nothing in that scene when Eric is being examined by LaQuelle. So I know that this is a TV thing that that you have to pay actors more if they have a line of dialogue. Yeah. But it's just weird. Like, the kid gets a name. He gets to say, I'm Eric, you know? But there's just the mom, and she's just smiling and nodding, mm-hmm. and they all walk off together, and she gets not a word into any of this. It's just a weird moment. It, it, just a word. Any word like "I'm his mom" would have been great. Yeah, to no, have they, right they, there. they would have gone over budget. Is the problem? You know that. Yep. Now here's here's my question to you because you're an actor. Yep. Um, they come to you and they say, mm-hmm. "We want you to be on, but we're going to show your face, but we're not. You don't get to say a word." Mm-hmm. Is is that better for you? 
I mean, are you okay, like, just standing there looking kind of weird? Because now we're talking about this woman not saying, oh, man, she was amazing. We're standing here going, man, it's weird she didn't say a thing when some, you know, alien comes up and starts accosting her child. Right. No, here's the thing. If you're an actor, you always take the job. Always take the job. But you would feel really weird. Because you've you've got to have all these reactions. You you have to be in the moment, and you have to think like, okay, here's an alien that I do not know coming up to my child, touching him, and then saying, "I'm gonna take your kid away for a little while." And you just you've got to have reactions to all of that, even if you're not being seen, and you're just gonna feel weird contorting your face to convey right. these reactions that you can't speak to. Right. I am a stranger. Do you mind if I give your child some candy? <laughs> Right. No, no, no. Don't, 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 don't speak. Just indicate to me silently whether yeah, that's just cool. smile and nod. Yeah, because here's the thing. What I'm thinking is it would actually probably have been better if he's just like down on the kid's level and if he looks up at the mom and you keep her reaction shot off screen, you know, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but then, you know, then I feel bad because I'm like, hey, that actress, you know, that was her moment. One of her moments anyway. She probably called all of her family and said, I'm going to be on. No, I don't mm-hmm. say anything, but you will see me. And then, you know, fingers right. crossed that she actually they don't end up with just a weird reaction shot where you don't see your face. Uh, I will say the look on the kid's face, Eric, mm-hmm. uh, may seriously be the best acting by a child on Star Trek, except for exactly. except for, um, um, oh, the young one whose whose mother died. Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy Astor. Jeremy yeah, Astor. Yeah, Jeremy yeah. Astor. That kid can act. Yeah. Uh, well, well yeah. he's not a kid anymore, but that kid could act when he was a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eric's awesome in this. Like the look on he his is. face. And it's not even like like that could have gone poorly. It was awesome. Yeah. Like I missed it the first time I watched it. But the second time I felt like I had really just I really felt like I had I had, I had you know missed something big the first time <laughs> because <laughs> it's a great it's a great, great look. Yeah. So I know that Bylas whole point is to um, antagonize Worf. Mm hmm. I almost feel like at the poker game, um, Worf was running like an entraption thing. Is that mm. what they're called, entraption? Because uh, because you look at that table, and it looks like Worf has no chips. He has right. pushed his chips. His chips <laughs> are as far from him as Riker's legs are from each other. When 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 he's sitting on a couch or something, you know, his chips are like yeah. all they're 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 pretty much in front of Byleth. And I understand, you know, so Byleth, I mean, is going to try to, oh, I'll antagonize him by stealing some of his chips. But they're right in front of him. Yeah. I mean, you know, dude, that that really seems like that could have gone, that could have gone really poorly. Seriously? Who arranged this exchange program? I would be willing to bet that Voval's premier does not even know about this exchange. By which I mean, Kidnapping. So, Byleth, Voval, and Lequel. Mm, but it was very good for a guy who didn't remember or write down any of the names. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, they don't understand love. They don't understand antagonism. Mm-hmm. They don't understand pleasure. Mm-hmm. But they totally get deception. <laughs> to the point of having a magic locket. Magic locket. That's for all the uh, old school Disney World people. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a magic locket that can make someone look like someone else. Deception, they got down cold. Mm-hmm. Vival is acting like a jerk to Picard all the way there. And obviously when he breaks character at the end. Yeah. He's actually a very, he's a very nice guy. Heck, he's an ambassador. Generally speaking, time was we wanted those to be nice people. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about a culture that doesn't understand like 50% of driving emotions. 
especially love. Yeah. And antagonism. Talk to me about uh, a culture that doesn't understand those things. But, you know, lying? Yeah, second nature. Don't get crime, but they get lying. Right. All right. Well, here's the thing. All right. Or deception. I'm sorry. Deception, not lying. Deception, which I think are the same thing, but six and one half dozen the other. Yeah. I, I think yeah. we're going to come back to this in the final segment of the show because it, it plays into my feelings about this episode. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there's a lot about the Yarians that make no sense whatsoever. And it's kind of like saying like, Okay, well, the, the Klingons, they're warriors, and they fight, and they conquer and destroy things, but pretty much there's no good way that they're going to get out of the primordial ooze, much less have things like, you know, warp-capable spaceships and transporters and all this other stuff. Um, you bring, the, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'm going to interrupt you, because somebody said something to us on, uh, the other day, like on Facebook or someplace, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's something I've been meaning to ask you. Mm-hmm. They said that they thought that the Klingons were actually an uplifted society or an uplift society. In other mm-hmm. words, the Klingons were walking around, you know, um, wearing skins and living in caves for all intents and purposes. And then somebody came along and gave them technology that sort of brought them into the stars. Mm-hmm. Is that somebody guessing or have we ever heard that? I, I don't know that we have ever heard that. We might. We might because we have not done all of Star Trek yet. Oh, man. We haven't? We haven't. I know. We've got at least like... <laughs> Six more episodes, and then, right, then good. we're done. Yeah, because yeah. I think I can do, like, six more. Okay. I know. That's all, right. all you got in you. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I get that. And there, we've seen other cultures. Take take your old favorites, the Pac-Leds. Love them. You know, how much did they actually develop, right? Yeah. It, it, probably not very much at all, but they had to get extremely lucky a number of times to be able to get technology and then know how to use it enough to then deceive other people. Right. So it's kind of the same thing with the ARNs. You know, I, I, we could even go so far as to say that they don't understand emotions. We could kind of put them on a level with, um, well, not even Vulcans, because Vulcans, as we know, are seething with emotion. But we could say... Data. That we put them on the level of data. Yeah, data at least understands a concept, though, and he would understand if somebody is being truthful or not. He would understand that humans do and want to experience things like love and pleasure, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a little hard to swallow that the Yarians can do all of these other great things, but have no concept of right or wrong, of like, you know, de- deception being a worse choice than honesty, <laughs> say, in a case like this. Um yeah, it's a little hard to swallow. I, I totally agree with you there. Now, speaking of deception, maybe this is a little bit of an uncomfortable question, but I feel like it needs to be asked. Okay. We have Anna, and we know that Anna is not Anna at the end of the show because Riker, uh, I'm sorry, Picard turns to go one direction, and then boom, there's Anna. Voval is gone because Voval went that direction. Right. And then Anna turns into Voval, mm-hmm. uh, maybe partly due to that magic uh, uh, amulet, that magic, magic locket, uh, <laughs> magic locket that she's wearing. All right, right. So Voval is committed to his mission of experiencing love. Mm-hmm. He was in the guise of Anna trying to experience love with Picard. Yeah. How far would that have gone? Uh, to the moment that Picard said he loved her. 
Oh, you think? I really, I really think that's it. Okay. I don't think anybody really understood what they were trying to do. And in the end, I don't think anybody actually got what they were trying to get. Hmm. I mean, the one who came closest, I think, was um, LaQuell, Troy's guy, right? Because mm-hmm. he's trying to learn about pleasure. Now, he's only learning about one kind of pleasure, uh, that having to do with food, apparently. Food and drink. Because, I mean, she doesn't even say that they've been in the holodeck more. She just says they've been in 10 Ford more in the past couple of days, and she's been in the past two months. And every time you see him, he's eating something. So he's not, he's not pursuing other um, pleasures of the flesh. He's not pursuing yeah. pleasures of the mind. I think he comes closest to getting what they're trying to do because he does seem to take pleasure in bringing pleasure to others. He wants Troy to share the things that he finds delicious. He wants to give mm-hmm. Eric dessert. Sure. He, he's feeling pleasure, and he wants to share that pleasure. And it's not just the things he's eating that are giving him pleasure, but it's also sharing those things with people that seem to be giving pleasure as well. So I'd say he wins. What Vival is trying to do, and when I say wins, it's not like a contest between the three of them, but I mean, I think he got closest to what he was trying to experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he gets to see the pleasure in other people. Right. I, yeah, and, yeah, 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 and knowing yeah, yeah. what that yeah. has done for him and then seeing yeah. that come to other people would seem to elevate his, his level of pleasure as well. Mm-hmm. Vival just keeps wanting Picard to say, I love you. And that makes sense. Vival has no idea what that means. And so what Vival is thinking is, if he hears Picard say those words, well, now he's experienced love. I mean, what's Hmm. weird to me is we talk about, you know, monocultures a lot in this show. And really, it seems like what we have here are kind of paper dolls all the way through. And I'm not just talking about the Iarians. I'm also talking about our own, our own crew. And what we end up with are like, you know, like these very two-dimensional or almost like Sesame Street presentations of emotions or feelings. Like, oh, show me your angry face. Okay, now show me happy. Okay, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. (laughs) Except they don't actually, I mean, it doesn't mean anything. The second Picard says, I love you, then Vival goes, boop, boop, boop. Ah, job well done. Let me go write about it in my Mm -hmm. journal. Dear diary, Picard loves me, so... You know, the the council's going to be happy when I get back to my planet. I'm just saying, I don't know how Picard works, although we've seen Picard in kind of quasi relationships. We had Vosh. Yeah. um, We, you know, and and we've had these. I'm just saying that there might have been a lot of making out that he had to go through before he got to the I love you that he was looking for. Yeah. And that might have been awkward the next day, at least for Picard. (laughs) Well, he doesn't know what he's doing, though. That's the thing. I mean, I, you know, they wouldn't have had to kiss at all. Like, like, let's say Picard's a weasel, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say Picard is like, you know, she says, I love you. And he's like, wow, this is awkward. I I love you, too. Then it would have ended. Right. I mean, luckily, Picard's (laughs) an upstanding individual. So he's not going to like play into whatever. Because he assumes I assume he assumes that she's crazy or she's suffering from having been alone for a while or whatever. I mean, you know, the show could have ended 30 minutes earlier if Picard had been like, love you, too. (laughs) <laughs> you know, even just trying to be casual <laughs> right. about it. Right. So, right. I mean, how far it would have gone, I think, I mean, exactly as, as Picard let it go, I mean, without saying I love you, I think. But, of course, yeah. he's not going to go any further than that because it's not you, it's me, I need to see other planets was really sort of Picard's place there. He's got an out, just, just like Kirk. So uh, this is one that it, it struck me at first, but then I, I think I talked myself out of it, but I'll present it anyway. Is there a sexist element to the Anna character? So we could complain that she's two dimensional, but here's the thing. 
she's two-dimensional. <laughs> she is a construct based on a misunderstanding of some old journal entries. Right. Um, it, it, it was a bit of the overplaying of the scorned woman, the love-becoming psychosis thing. But, but again, it's a simulation based on this bad data. But I think the first time I watched it, um, well, first time for our rewatch for this, mm-hmm. um, I kind of looked at that and just thought, wow, well, obviously I made references to misery, um, where you have a woman who truly is having a psychotic break. But then it was just sort of uh, all the throwing herself at Picard, the love me, love me. Well, if you don't love me, I'm going to throw myself off the precipice. But, you know, like I said, here I am talking myself out of what I think is the, the sexist take on the character, mm-hmm. because it's sort of the Arians writing a bad romance novel. Well, they're not writing a bad romance novel. They're reading somebody else's journal. I mean, you, well, I understand, you can, but, but they still had to create the, 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 the character for her. I mean, they had, to, they had to bring to life the character that they read about in the journal. Yeah, but they have no idea what they're yeah. doing. I mean, the person that they read about in the journal said all those things, we have to assume. I don't think mm-hmm. they're, like, you know, editing for her at all. I mean, I found mm-hmm. it interesting. Mm-hmm. I actually wondered for a moment, like, wow, why is Favol worried about you know, the fact that talking to himself, does that make him crazy? And then I thought, okay, so is he, is he thinking that that would be a thing that's insane? And then I realized, no, somewhere along, you know, day 583 in her journal, she's like, I'm starting to talk to myself more and more. I am concerned that this means I'm insane. So I'm going to stop talking right. to myself. And now that's a data point for Vival. He mm-hmm, can say, oh, mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And so she writes about the fact that she's thinking about killing herself. And that's not, that's neither a man nor woman thing. It's just that this one happened to be a woman. I mean, you know mm-hmm. me, dude. I'll call sexism in a heartbeat. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I mean, if it's actually there, I won't just call it for the sake of calling it. Just, yeah, no, no, no. Exactly. Save your, save your email. Save your email, please, because yeah, you may yeah. need it later. Um, <laughs> yeah, it. I, I didn't see anything sexist about it at all. I mean, the problem that I have with it is there's a. There's a level, of, there's a level it, of goofiness to this episode that I mean that doesn't even rise to the level of sexism because it's I mean there's there's too much other goofy stuff about this episode but we can talk about that more in the next segment maybe absolutely I had a question about uh, Picard's uh, speech to Vival in the end Vival mm-hmm. as they're leaving is like hey listen sorry if we're like you know bad at this whole diplomacy thing <laughs> or sorry mm-hmm. if it, mm-hmm. sorry if our diplomatic means uh, offended you. And Picard said, um, we humans tend to take a rather balanced approach towards life. Never too much, never too little. And it's very nice to find a culture that's willing to take an experience to its furthest extreme. Are these just the humans in um, Starfleet? Hmm. Are these all of the humans in the Federation now? Because generally speaking, and we've talked about this a million times, we tend to think of our characters as stand-ins for some part of ourselves. Oftentimes, yeah. we think of the aliens as stand-ins for some parts of ourselves as well. I personally didn't feel that with these aliens in this. Right. But it was odd to me that you know Picard is, is making this sort of blanket statement for all of humanity. I mean... Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain, right? <laughs> 80 years earlier than this episode, Kirk climbed El Capitan mm-hmm. with with no ropes. I mean, and of course he said the whole reason he did that was because he always knew that uh he always knew that uh, Bones or Spock would be able to help him, right, which is expecting right. a lot from them, I think. But I mean, it, it struck me as odd that that Picard stood there and, you know, said the whole thing about, yeah, you know, humans, we're kind of milk toast. So I like what you do. It's interesting. I don't think we're going to do it. But, um, yeah, 
go you. Maybe we'll remove the element of deception out of it. No, I, I gotta. I mean, Picard is speak. Picard is speaking for Star Trek at that point, which is, you know, this idealized version of humanity that has evolved over the next three or four hundred years. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I, I kind of get that, and and I'm glad that you focus on this line because it's one of those things in Star Trek where it's not a. It's not a hard lesson. It's not making a social statement, but it it reflects something we actually talked about not that long ago on our show, how Star Trek uses other cultures at extremes to paint a picture of balance for humanity. It sort of depends here on how literal you want to take that and who Picard is actually describing in that sentence. So we don't want to be too much like the Vulcans because they've they've gone, you know, that far extreme of trying to strip emotion out of everything that they do Mm -hmm. we certainly don't want to be too much like the klingons because they're just you know they're ready to pop any chance they can and we certainly don't want to be like those weirdos who jog everywhere in their underwear speak for yourself pal speak for yourself (laughs) but but we want humanity to find this balance we want humanity to well i I guess as picard might say uh needs his happiness and his pain you know, he, he needs a little bit of both. Here's the thing about that, though. Picard doesn't say that we want to. He almost says wistfully that we do. I mean, when when mm. Vival apologizes, Picard's like, no, this is like totally refreshing, dude. We're kind of like not too hot, not too cold. We're the Goldilocks society seems to be his thing at this point, which, yeah, you know, a little wishful thinking might yeah. be totally comfortable as far as he's concerned. But he seems to sort of like the fact Oh, there's some line from scripture, and I can't remember what it is, but it actually fits right here. It basically, Jesus says somewhere along the way, um, that people don't travel someplace for tepid springs. They go for heat or they go for cold. Nobody wants middle of the road. And yet what Picard is standing there saying is like, yeah, we're just, you know, I kind of like the way you guys do it because we're, yeah, we're fine, but we don't really, you know, we don't go all in. We're not totally reserved, but we don't go all in. He almost seems sad about that. They should have just—they should have teamed them up with Worf and Barkley. That—that that would have been a show right there. <laughs> Heck, that's a spinoff. With Mo, Larry, and Curly headed back to their planet, it is time to see what we can pull from liaisons. Revelation 3, 15, and 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That's written, uh, that's from Revelation, as I said, 3, mm-hmm. 15, 16. Uh, written by John the Apostle, a lot of people think. You know, who knows for sure, but that's who it's credited to. Um, not sure who was actually speaking there, but that's what I was referencing earlier. So there we go. Wanted to get that out of the way because I figured a lot of people are like, you know, firing up their email machines right now to say, oh, oh, I know that one. (laughs) So there we go. Uh, On now to other things, though, we are to the part of the show where we talk about the meanings, morals and messages of the episode and try to figure out whether the whole thing holds up. Um, Liaisons, John, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? So do you remember a few weeks ago, um, I think I, I texted you. <laughs> I love that you asked me if I remember a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so we, we rarely ever share our thoughts on an episode, but I think I yeah. just sat down to watch this and I just mm-hmm. texted you like, oh, 
I can't believe I'm writing this. You felt you felt that way this time. Is that what you're saying? I, well, I felt that way this time. Yeah, and I, I, I texted you I, somewhere along those lines. But but here's the thing. I have to admit that the more I watched it, it kind of grew on me in a weird way. Look, I readily admit this may not be the best episode of TNG ever. Um, but I feel like there's something in here that is quintessentially or at least partly Star Trek about it. So it, learning to work with each other, learning about other cultures, the enemy is not the enemy, that, that kind of lesson that we see over and over again. Sure, it's a little simplistic. And sure, it feels like B-plot meeting a B-plot. <laughs> but, but in the end, I, I found myself not falling into the hate category on this one like I thought I would. I thought I was going to come away from this just, uh, oh, ju just driven nuts by it. Um, all that said, this is one of those stories where if you pull at too many of the threads in it, then it just completely falls apart. I, like, seriously, the Aryans were able to know so much and be so advanced, but didn't understand aggressive confrontation. Uh, okay. They, they've never had a conflict or confrontation or, or antagonism with anybody, either internally or externally. Um, yeah, I, I don't buy it. But the whole thing is sort of a bit of a light, fun-ish parable about wearing someone else's shoes. So, mm. I, I, you know, for that, I'm just like, okay, as we say, Star Trek is fiction. These people don't exist. The Enterprise doesn't exist. We're just going to tell a story. And for some weird reason, I, I let this one have a pass for just telling a story. So I, I'm, I'm going to say it holds up, even though I'm still kind of on the fence about it. Hmm. But there you go. That, that's my defense of this episode. How do you feel about it, Ken? Because I feel like you might feel differently than I. Yeah, um, I don't think this episode holds up. And what's weird is I think it doesn't hold up because it comes in season seven. I mean, this would have been a good, mm. this honestly would have been a good episode in season one. Okay, sure. Yeah. Or it would have been an okay episode in season one. I mean, we've had some bad episodes of Next Gen and we've had some really good episodes of Next Gen as well. Subtle studies of human nature, deep looks at complex issues and ideas. And this, honestly, when I was trying to liken this to something, it reminded me of those coloring books where you had the tracing paper between the pages, you know? Oh, yeah, right, right. You could trace you know, the picture that you had colored, and you could color it again. But the trace page never looked as good as the printed page. It yeah. was fun to trace, but it never looked you know, that great. Byleth doesn't understand antagonism. And I think by the end, he still doesn't understand antagonism. He understands upsetting someone, which I think is a bit different. Uh, Laquell understands flavor, but he doesn't understand any other facet of pleasure. Although, I mean, maybe he does understand bringing other people pleasure as well. Yeah. Vival, I mean, all he would have gotten had he been successful was getting someone to say the words, I love you. But he wouldn't, gotten, he wouldn't have gotten the truth of I love you. He wouldn't have gotten the truth of love and affection. And the problem is we've had much more nuanced character studies to this point. We've, we've met similar aliens at this point. Go back to Timison and Half a Life. That was the one with David Ogden Steers, mm -hmm. the one where, you know, mm -hmm. people have to commit suicide at 60. And he's close to finding something that will actually save his planet. And he's fallen in love. But his social norm demands that he die. Yeah. 
and that gave us just a ton of stuff with which to play. I mean, just a tremendous amount of stuff to consider. You mentioned the Pakleds earlier. They mm-hmm. were smarter than these aliens. They might, be, <laughs> they might not be as technologically advanced, but they were smarter. They understood duplicity. Um, the Binars actually get emotions better than these guys do. And even though the Binars don't seem to, they played Riker like a fiddle with Minuet. Yeah. I mean, they, they understand so much, even if they don't present that way. And that's my problem with this episode. We have seen so much good examination of emotions and the human condition. And this episode just forgets that we've ever done that. Honestly, what would have been better, and I hate to do the rewrite, but what would have been better is if we'd had an examination of any one of these emotions. Like maybe all three of them come to study antagonism, or they all three come to study pleasure, or they all three come to study love. That honestly would have been the most interesting one. Hmm. Because then we could have studied antagonism or pleasure or love. Instead, what we get to watch are three people who don't understand something uh, try and fail to understand something, sort of like watching me watch a movie in Mandarin. I mean, there's there's no return for me in this episode. And I understand what you're saying, and I want to give it that pass. Yeah. I, I want to find places where I can like this episode, but it this would have been good TOS. This would have been good um, animated. This would have even been good in the first season and a half maybe of next gen but this is this is not where star trek finds its footing this is this is dng losing its footing i think i mean there are so many ways this could have played well and um that to me personally it played poorly no i i get it and and i i think that was the part of the disappointment watching this the first time um but mm-hmm. I, I guess at a certain point i accepted that this was an episode with two-dimensional characters <laughs> you know and and i thought okay well what can they actually make out of this totally preposterous two-dimensional situation um and, and i felt like they didn't totally fumble with it but i I, I get it. I, I get and respect where you're coming from with it, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm not, for sure. I'm not trying to talk it out of its past with you. I mean, if you can enjoy it, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. And if you can pull something from it, that's great, too. I just, I mean, you know, I mean, we come, as as we've said many times before, we come from a place of liking Star Trek. I'm not starting out trying to, you know, I'm not coming from a place of, okay, you better impress me, otherwise I hate you. But mm-hmm. I just, I mean, you know. I wanted to find something and sadly I didn't. But as we've said before, just because you don't necessarily like an episode uh, doesn't mean there aren't messages. What messages did you find, sir? Um, uh, well, if someone is antagonizing you, maybe in the end what you really need to do is throw the first punch. That, that's the, the lesson that everybody learned about uh, uh, Byleth. Yeah, okay, so that's a problem. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, uh, but, you know, there, there is something uh, obviously... Picard has every reason to hate what was done to him and the deception around it. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you had to sum up the level of respect that Picard has in the end for what the ambassadors did, it's kind of like a like a when in Rome message. You know, it, you sort of to experience something, you have to dive into that thing. Um, just when in Rome, if you do as the Romans do, don't actually jump into the Trevi Fountain because they will arrest you now. Uh, so don't don't do that, but do everything else. Eat the food, um, take pleasure in it. Uh, don't get into a fight. Uh, don't do that part. Um, maybe fall in love. Maybe that part would be okay too. 
I don't think you can really say that this is a when in Rome episode, though, because, I mean, they never actually got to Rome, which is where Picard thought they were going. And, yeah, yeah. you know, to even get them to his version of Rome, he did have to kidnap Picard. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's true. But the other guys, the other guy, I mean, the, for, for Bioleth and Loquel, they, they absolutely were in Rome. And heck, they could even go to Rome via the holodeck and they could just, you know, have a Roman mm. holiday. Yeah, food's not real there, though, so that's a problem. Oh, but you can eat it. You can eat it if, if Moriarty taught us anything. Yeah. You can eat the food. Um, what about you? Well, I think the one message that I picked up was you can't hurry love. No, you just have to wait. Mm. <laughs> love yeah. don't come easy, John. It's a game of... <sighs> I got nothing, dude. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. But, you know, sometimes you you need a song to say it for you. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Roddenberry's into a lot of stuff these days, including a, a podcast or, or three. So you can check out our show, also Women at Warp and Priority One at podcast.roddenberry.com. And now if you want to help support our show, you can go to patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, you can check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Interface. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Starting next week, your TV time is filling up. It is the premiere of Barkley and Warp and Byleth and Alice, right after TJ and the Borg. Check your local listings and transmission. today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.